Our first reading is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapters 4 and 5. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk for with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word of the Lord. Let me pray for us as we enter into God's word before we continue on with the service afterwards. So let's pray. God, our Father, you love us and have sent your Son to die for us, and now you fill us by your Spirit. And so, Spirit of God, be present in this place. May we hear your word to us this day and empower us to walk in the ways that you've called us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, kids who have not been in the past few weeks, what, uh, what we've been covering for the past few weeks is the Ten Commandments. So many of you know the Ten Commandments, but uh, just as a refresher to the parents who maybe don't remember as well, we've talked about the different aspects of the Ten Commandments, that a commandment has an external, an outside part of it, and an internal, an inside part. So here's an example. One of the commandments is do not murder. So don't take a knife and stab somebody. That is do not murder. But Jesus takes it a step further, and he says, if you have anger towards somebody, or you insult somebody. If you have hate inside of your heart, you have already murdered them. That's the inside part, external, internal. The other thing we've talked about is how all commandments have a negative and a positive side to them. So last week, Corky talked about the commandment number eight, which is do not steal. But the positive is also true. We need to be generous. When we fail to be generous, we are stealing from God. So the positive and the negative, the external and the internal. And so today we come to the ninth commandment, which if you're going to read it just straight, is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's talking about being in a courtroom and lying. But if you really want to just play it out quite simply, it's do not lie. And the positive is be honest. Tell the truth. And don't withhold the truth either, because that's deception. That's also lying. 
But I think actually this don't, don't lie, be honest, tell the truth, don't withhold the truth is actually letting us off too easy. I actually think most of us, or at least kids, most of your parents have learned how to figure this one out. They've learned how to work through career and life and relationships where they're pretty much honest. But one of the things that challenged me was when I thought about how any commandment also has a root found in the nature of God. Every commandment that's ever been put out there doesn't just have arbitrary nature to it. It finds its own meaning and purpose in the nature and character of God. So, why does God say do not murder? Because God is creator and the source of life. Why does God say do not steal? Because God is the owner of all things, and any failure to be generous is actually stealing from God. And so we get to do not lie. And what's at the root of God's nature that would help us to understand this? One is that God is truth. The other is the power of God's word. And as a result of the power of God's word, the power of all words. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about today as we try to understand what it is to really live out do not lie. So in Genesis chapter 1, we get the very beginning, right? It goes like this. In the beginning, God created. How? How did God create? Well, we read the very next thing is, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let there be earth. And there was earth. And God said, let there be creatures, not only in the oceans, but also in the land above and in the sky above that. And all of a sudden, There are creatures. Every time God says it is building creation, God's word declares, calls forth creation, and it gets built up. And the same is true with us. And God said, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's power in God's spoken word. God's word calls forth creation, and creation is built up. God's word and what God says has power. We see this throughout Genesis 1 and into Genesis 2. When not only does God create us, but he actually gives us our purpose. God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. Tend the garden. He gave them their calling, their purpose in life. And he even noticed it is not good, it says in Genesis chapter 2, it is not good that the man should be alone. God realized that we are made, or we realize we are made for relationships because God says we are made for relationships. As God says it, it happens. We understand that we have a purpose, and we have a calling, we have an identity. Who I am and why I am here is found in what God has said about this creation and about me. I'm called to create things, to bring order out of chaos, to tend and create flourishing, and I'm called into relationship. God says it, and it is so in my life. 
There is power in God's word. And of course, when we jump to the New Testament, we say the same thing, right? The gospel is what Christianity is about. But what does the word gospel mean? It means good news. It's actually a message that we hear and believe. Think about it this way. What is Christianity about? Jesus Christ died and rose for our sins so that we who put our trust in him would have eternal life. But it wasn't just that Jesus came and died and rose again and all of a sudden everybody's forgiven, everyone goes to heaven. It actually isn't. Rather, Jesus dies and rises and then his disciples go around telling people about it. They speak about the gospel, about what Christ has done, and people hear. And as people hear, they believe, and they are forgiven, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and they are guaranteed eternal life. And they become new creations, not just randomly, but because of a message that they have heard and that they now believe. And we're built up into the body of Christ, into the people God has designed us to be when we hear a message, the gospel. Words have the power to give us life, to call out our purpose, and to renew us into eternity. But words also have the power to break us down. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes along and he says something too, doesn't he? The serpent says, did God actually say? Are you sure he did? Can you really believe that? Satan wants to steal, to kill, to destroy. He wants to bring death, to cause us to doubt God. His words accuse us. His words cause us to question God's word. There is power in words, in what we say. And we see this from Genesis into the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and for us as well. So here's what you would find, kids. You know this to be true intuitively. You know this inside. What we say, what we say has power. What you say, what I say has the power to create, to build, to give life, or to murder. Words can build up a person, create possibilities, enable them to step into things they never thought they could, or it can break them down. Think about how it works in a marriage or in a relationship, right? So um, kids who are younger, you may not realize this, but one of the hardest things for a man or woman to say to one another is, I love you. And they will date for a long time before they say that. Why? It's just words. Who cares? They know intuitively that words matter. Words have power. To say I love you is to create something that didn't exist before. It's to create a bond of connection and commitment to say, yes, I am for you and will be for you. And then what happens at the wedding day is the couple makes vows, sometimes before a minister or legally, but before God, even if they don't recognize it, they're making vows and promises that I will never leave you in sickness and in health, poverty, riches, till death do us part. And those promises create something. They create a new entity to become one flesh. 
They build something new simply by saying something. And what I say to my spouse on the day of our wedding is promises that build a new life together. And then what do I do for the next couple of years? Well, you start expressing trust in the other person. You build them up. You encourage them. You're their teammate. And so every word of encouragement to your spouse becomes a source of building them up so that they become stronger, capable. They know that they're not alone in this whole process. You compliment, you cheer on, you bless. And it builds a person and even a new person, a family. What we say, what we say can enable another person to flourish, to become who they are meant to be, to realize their full potential as a glory maker made in the image of God, made to reflect God. And our words have the power to enable somebody to step into that. God's word and our words. Words can enable somebody to flourish, but words can also be the opposite. You know, I don't know if you've heard this phrase before, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. My take is this, though. Names do hurt. Names are like getting hit. And while, yes, sticks and stones can hurt you, words and names hurt as well. How do we know this? Any of you who are old enough to be self-conscious about your appearance know that names can hurt. My guess is nearly everyone in here who's hit some level of teenage or adulthood has some part of them that they're a little self-conscious about. Your height, your birthmark, your crooked nose, all these are hypothetical. But it's possible that someone somewhere along the way said something and it stuck with you. And that's what you remember. You try to hide it, cover it up, brush the hair over, wear the right clothes, because you know. Because somebody said something. Words stick. If somebody gives you nine positive things and one negative, weeks later, what do you remember? It's the one negative. Let me tell you all the ways you're great in this job. Here's one that's, but what's going to stick with you? And it's not to say that we don't need critique, but there's a power, a negative power in words. They can give life and they can also take it. Being around somebody who is critical may feel like a paper cut. And of course, one or two paper cuts is not going to kill you, but three million will. And some of you know what it's like to live in a relationship that feels like three million paper cuts. A marriage now, or one that broke apart, it was a series of paper cuts, a relationship with a parent or a sibling. It just feels like a bunch of paper cuts. So what happens in a marriage is while we're called to build one another up, to encourage, to bless, to love, to assure, one spouse gets frustrated. The other one gets frustrated. I'm not getting what I want. And so instead of building, we become silent. No longer building into this person. And of course, over the course of time, that can turn into purely negative, deathly words 
And you can see this in your house. Some of you have seen it. Some of you kids have observed this because we're sinful people. You know what it's like to be around somebody who just mocks all the time? It's like you're being stripped. Like they're just trying to rip the clothes off of you to embarrass you. Always belittling you, discouraging your abilities. It's like they just want to take you down a notch if they can. And what it's like to be around somebody who's critical, it creates a poison in the air. If all they are is ever negative, you know that you don't want to be there anymore. It has the effect of of shaking everything. It just creates this instability in the room and in your own life. Somebody who's critical is somebody you just want to avoid because all they ever think about is what's wrong with you. And of course, our words can be so powerful that they become abusive. You will never become anything. You're an idiot. I hate you. What we say has the power to give life or to murder. It can break us down and leave us in shambles. Words have power. And it's why Paul in Ephesians 4 calls us to live out a life imitating God because of what Christ has done that looks like this. Speak the truth, not falsehood. Not corrupting talk, meaning not coarse, negative, destructive talk, but words that build others up, that extend grace to those who hear. Not, as it says in verse 31, in bitterness or anger or slander, meaning not gossip, not hurtful, but kind, tender, forgiving. Why? Verse 25 says, for we are members one of another. God created us for loving relationships and to be in community, and we damage ourselves as we hurt others with our tongue. How do we do this? It's got to start with as God forgave us. The power of the gospel to transform us. What's the gospel? The gospel is this. You have been saved by grace, not by work. So let me take this random man standing right down here who's going to come forward. Now, I can think of this random guy. What's your name, sir? Rod. Okay. So Rod can be somebody who I see as competition, somebody who I'm always trying to measure myself against. And if that's the case, then I'm going to put him down. I'll use him as the target of my own anger. I will try to steal, steal his position. I'll try to find love from him or from others and take it, make sure I get it and he doesn't. But if I recognize the gospel that we are all sinful, equally sinful, I'm not going to feel better than him. I'm going to feel equal. We're equally both broken. And I'm going to recognize that I need grace and he needs grace. It is by grace we have been saved. It's not because I'm better. It is by grace, and we're both sinful. So I don't see him as competition anymore. And not only that, the gospel tells me that God loves me and accepts me through Jesus Christ. That means I am fully loved in Christ. And if I am filled up by Christ, filled with the Spirit, then I don't need to attack him anymore. I can now see him as somebody who needs to experience the love that I have. 
And because I'm full up, I can give over to him. I can bless and encourage and build him up. And I recognize that as he flourishes, actually I flourish. He's not competition. He can't take away from what Christ has done for me. And if anything, the more I give to him, the more I see my own calling fulfilled. It's a total transformation that happens when you live by a gospel of grace, how I view myself and how I view others. Thank you, young man. We are made to reflect God. We are made to tend gardens. We're made to flourish. And we do this when we use our words to praise God, to give thanks to God, and to bless, encourage, build up, and point others to Christ. Let's pray. God, this is not an easy thing to do. We need your Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit so that we can be imitators of God. We need to understand the fullness of what Jesus Christ has done for us so that we can love one another. You have called us to so much more, to use our mouth and our words to give life. Help us to see in your words the source of life. In whose name we pray, amen.